Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,466. Today we're going to have some fun, so be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Maryville, Tennessee, where it's a little chilly. It's a little chilly in a lot of places across the country right now, but I always say, hey, it's winter. That's what it does in winter, with a very special guest by the name of Sam Smith. Sam, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Why not? Let's go. Let's go. So before I give you a more proper introduction, I always break the ice with this. What's one little thing that most people don't know about Sam Smith? Man, well, I have a debilitating sickness for vintage typewriters. I own two of them, but if I had the space and could afford it, I'd probably have 100, 150 of them. My wife has told me that I'm I'm not allowed to buy any more typewriters until we, oh, I don't know, own a private island or end up with a jet or something. So, uh, so typewriters, very interesting. I know when we'll learn more about this, you come from the world of media. Why typewriters? What's so intriguing about that typewriter? Well, you know, I got into I got into car media because I'm obvious answer. I love cars, right? But I was uh, grew up around a restoration shop. My dad ran a restoration shop that dealt with British sports cars and old German stuff. And I've always loved mechanical things. And when you're a writer who loves mechanical things, you just kind of end up at the intersection of hunty pecky machines that make a lot of noise sure. and are loud and completely obsolete. So yeah. just something charming about them. Yeah, you know, I took typing in junior high and high school, and everybody said. Why are you taking typing? Only secretaries <laughs> need to know how to type. Now, I won't say that I had this forward vision of what was to come, that we would all be sitting in front of keyboards 12 hours a day, seven days a week. But I'll tell you, I'm glad that I did. <laughs> I took them because that's where all the girls were. So, you know, I'm like, oh, this room's full of nothing but my friend Mike and I. Yeah, we took all the typing classes and we competed how fast we could go. But uh, I remember when they got Selectrics. Remember those with the little balls in the class? Yeah, oh, my yeah. gosh. We thought we'd die instead of the click, 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 you know? Well, it's, it's so funny, right? Because I grew up typing on keyboards and writing on keyboards and learning how to learning how to write on a keyboard where you think and you, as fast as you can type, it's out. And, and it's so – I think if I had started out on typewriters – Bang, 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 boom, boom, boom. I, I probably would have walked off a cliff. I mean, it's there, and then it's on yeah. the page, and once it's there, you can't undo it without a lot of work. You know, it's it's oh, a yeah. it's a totally different experience. It's like turning your brain off. We've in a way. come a long way, baby. But I'll I'll tell you this: I have a a, a cousin who is into collecting uh, old radios from the uh, 30s and 40s, the Bakelite cool. radios. Yeah, and that can get out of hand. He had, I think, he at one point he had <laughs> 500 of those things. <laughs> His entire, the, his whole house, the walls were just shelves filled with radios. It would look like a museum. Yeah, it finally got to the point where he had to just say, I have to stop. This is <laughs> insane. Yeah, so. Whatever you do, do it Do it 10 out of 10, full throttle, right? Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So let me uh, introduce you properly here. Sam Smith is a writer and a former executive editor of Road & Track Magazine. He's been an automotive journalist for over 20 years, typing away. He has contributed to a variety of publications, including The New York Times, Esquire, and Car and & Driver. And as TV and video presenter, Sam's talents have been tapped by clients as diverse as NBC Sports and Classic Car Insurance Provider, Hagger 
Haggerty. His career highlights include a track testing Fernando Alonso's Formula One McLaren. What? Oh my gosh, that sounds like fun. Flying to Japan for a deep dive into the land's offbeat Dodge van. Dodgy van? Am I saying that right? Dodgy van. Imagine, imagine a Japanese person who loves vans saying the word dodgy van. Dodgy van. Okay, I should, well, I should know that. I was made in Japan, <laughs> but that's another story. Culture and driving to the Arctic Circle in a Jeep with no doors because, well, that sounded like fun along with his co-host motorsports legend ross bentley and jeff braun who by the way are both past guests here on cars yeah sam and these guys have just launched a podcast called it not the car can't wait to hear about that we'll be back in just a moment for first a word from our sponsors so give them a little love buckle up we're going for a fun ride we'll be right back are you ready to take charge of your financial future then let me introduce you to Capitalize Your Finances. It's an online course designed to empower you with the knowledge and tools for mastering your money. This course will help you lay out the ins and outs of budgeting, the importance of emergency funds, investing strategies, and how to plan for a secure retirement. All this presented by financial planner Chris Paniotu. Chris has developed this course to help you effectively navigate your world of finance, with confidence. Stop stressing about money and start taking control. Enroll in Capitalize Your Finance online course today and pave your way to financial success. To learn more, go to capitalizepodcast.com slash courses, or better yet, go to the Cars yeah! website show notes page for today's show and click on the link under Capitalize Your Finances. You'll be glad you did. Do it today. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. Hey, guess what? Some of you regular listeners will remember back in 2019, I created uh, 10, 11 shows called Cars Yeah TV, where I went to some fabulous locations of past Cars Yeah guests, and we did a TV show about it. Well, they're up on the Cars Yeah YouTube channel. So go check it out at YouTube. Just type in Cars Yeah, and the shows will be there for you to enjoy. I hope you have fun watching. All right. So obviously, Sam, a history in media, typing on keyboards, collecting a few typewriters uh, and listen <laughs> to your wife. It'll get out of hand. Uh, yeah. So uh, don't don't go there. I want to talk about what you guys are doing today. But before we get into this new podcast, a little bit more about you. I, I alluded to some very unique things that you've done in the past in the car world from driving an F1 car. Hats off to you for that uh, to going to the uh, the snowy wilderness with no doors on a jeep this fascination for cars and passion for doing crazy things and writing about them where did this all come from like i said i i grew up around a restoration shop and my dad my dad and mom had a house full of books and in the end my hands were either greasy out in the garage with dad or i was inside getting greasy dirty hands on books i wasn't supposed to get grease on right and it all just it kind of came together just because i love i love stories i love 
the past. And I love how when we look at the past, we tend to pull things out of it that we don't always pull out of the everyday. So much of journalism is trying to figure out how we're going to look at things that are happening now. 20 years on. And I, I just fell in love with the idea of combining things I love, you know, machines, cars, speed, performance driving, club racing, all of that stuff with the idea of trying to figure out what it is about cars and transportation, speed, all of that, that, that matter to us. I love the fact that, you know, anybody who doesn't People who don't like it tend to pull it down to you're an adrenaline junkie or, you know, you just like loud V8s. It's never that simple. It's never people are complex. It's it's always something more interesting than that, you know? Absolutely. Well, it sounds like a lot of your past career has been going out and doing fun adventures. That's one of the great things about being in this world is we get invited to events. Sometimes people toss us keys and say, take it for a drive. This this drive you took in an F1 car, I've got to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I was for, like I said, for about eight years, um, I was executive editor and then editor at large at Road and Track. And I had written, you know, I'd written for a number of magazines before, worked for a number of different car magazines. And the interesting thing about Road and Track was that everything there was predicated on going and doing and the, the stuff that makes us love driving. And so the, the job there was essentially sit down and dream up a way to pull back the curtain or find something that needs explaining or go answer questions. And that turned into everything from, like you said, you know, one year I drove a Jeep Wrangler with no doors to the Arctic Circle because it seemed like a really dumb idea and a good way to talk about how and why we do the things we do to, you know, I was for a while, I was kind of the magazine's chief track driver, chief track test driver for all manner of performance race car, performance cars, exotics, race cars, all the way back to the 20s. I drove 1920s Alpha Grand Prix cars. I drove Le Mans winning Porsche prototypes. And you get to get to meet people and know people and conversations start. And one of the guys we got to know was a very kind gentleman from Columbus, Ohio. And we talked for about a year and he owned an ex-Fernando Alonso McLaren from, I believe it was the 2007 season. Uh, it was a car he won the Monaco Grand Prix with. And after an awful lot of paperwork and an awful lot of insurance and an <laughs> awful lot of me kind of going, ooh, and uh, taking a deep breath, I got a handful of laps in a car that is uh, one of the most spaceship-like things I've ever touched. It was it was the weirdest, most surreal thing. But yeah. again, it, it, was a, it turned into a great story, and it was... You know, that, that was the definition of the job. You, you never get rich doing it, but you get to have experiences that you almost can't buy and share them. So it was pretty great. Absolutely. Well, this uh, evolution of the car world has gone through a major transition as of late. And before we get into your podcast, I'd have to ask you what your opinions are of what we're going through right now, specifically with the EV world. And we're starting to see cracks in all of that <laughs> happening pretty fast. <laughs> all of a sudden, uh, go figure. But we can talk about all those reasons, too. But what's your opinion of where where we are now in the EV world? And I know we none of us have a crystal ball, so I won't put you under that kind of pressure. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it used to be I, – I read Road and Track for years. I mean, all the car magazines. I used to subscribe to like 40 car magazines. And my wife would always go <laughs> – that, that stack's getting bigger over there next to the bed. Um, and that's changed too, obviously, as you know, as media's changed and so forth. But it was always zero to 60, zero to 60, zero to 60. And, and the biggest thing I've seen with EVs is that has obliterated 
that it doesn't mean anything anymore for most cars. It's like, yeah. well, yawn, because I can get in my rental Tesla and blow your Porsche GT3 right off the street. <laughs> so I'd love to hear your impressions of where we're at now and maybe a little glimpse into where you see the future going with EVs. Well, it's, it's an interesting intersection, right? Oh, Lord, I made that pun. I should never make that pun. <laughs> Unintentional puns. That's okay. It's an interesting intersection we're driving toward, Mark. There no. you go. But, Buckle up for the but, ride. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's we're, we're at a, a, a an inflection point because, you know, for so long we've known this shift was coming. We didn't know how it would come. Most people, frankly, for a long time, most people in the media, most people in the industry assumed it was further off than it was. Tesla changed that roughly a decade ago, but we're now at the point where, you know, we're asking really hard questions and coming up against, you know, figurative rev limiters in terms of battery infrastructure, charging infrastructure, where the batteries come from and how we, what we do with them both before and after they have a life cycle in the public mm -hmm. and how all of that stuff works. You know, that's an extremely complex problem. You know, we forget that it took three, really four decades and, and a couple of major economic events, the Great Depression, World War II, to really install an automotive infrastructure in the United States. And that was, that was a different time. Most of the, you know, most of the country wasn't paved, but, you know, there was still a point where there wasn't a gas station on every corner and that took time. And that was a simple problem to solve, relatively right. speaking, compared to what we're dealing with now. You know, as far as the, the speed and the metrics things, you know, the, the fact that zero to 60 used to be everything. And then we kind of reached the limit of it with modern tires. You know, it's it's funny because uh, some of the Teslas will do numbers that Bugatti's only did 20 years ago. <laughs> I know, it's you amazing. million dollars for. And those are the, the big secret of speed is that, you know, that stuff gets old. One of the, the remarkable things about you, know, you talk about car magazines, one of the remarkable things about working at car magazines is that you get to drive literally everything. You know, Road and Track had a, it's just like Car and Driver and Motor Trend. There's a big board in the back of the office with all of the cars, the test cars that are in that week. And you take a different car home every night all year long. And very quickly, you realize that, you know, speed isn't useful or interesting unless it makes you feel something. You get very used to 2.9 seconds to 60 or 700 horsepower or whatever it is after a couple of, you know, thwacks at the throttle. It's why, you know, people buy turbocharged Nissan GTRs that make a thousand horsepower and then go back to their tuner two weeks later and go, can it, can it make 1500? Is that, <laughs> is that a thing you can do? I want more. Yeah. And I think to, to answer your question, I think we're, we're gravitating toward an, an actual good place with it. You know, we are, we're moving in the direction where people who love driving for what it gives back, what it makes you feel and think and how you're engaged. You know, car manufacturers are slowly starting to recognize that numbers aren't it. So the experience is what matters. And you see it in everything from the fact that a Tesla Model 3 has better steering than the average BMW 3 Series to, you know, the fact that people still buy manual transmission Porsches all day long even though the automatic is faster, the twin clutch is faster by a long shot, you know, stuff that a lot of people didn't predict, but it's, it's an interesting time in so many ways. Well, you touched on, I think the main thing coming from a, a strong marketing background, it's how you feel. Yeah. And for car people and even non-car people, if a vehicle makes them feel good, I'll give you an example. My nephew works for Tesla now, worked for Volkswagen for 11 years. And he said, you know, Volks, Volkswagen, when people would come in to get their cars fixed, they were pissed. <laughs> so when, when Tesla people call me, and that's how he fixes cars now from his bedroom on the phone, hmm. 
to get their their cars fixed, they apologize for bothering me. <laughs> now we could talk about Tesla and what they built in this cult bait, you know, kind of thing. And many sure. brands have done it. But the bottom line is, his, he bought his wife a Tesla, and he said she is not into cars at all. She's an EMT, emergency room nurse, and a paramedic. Cars only are a way to get somewhere. She said she's like a sixteen-year-old, giggling. At her first drive. Every day she drives her car. So there in the magic of that vehicle has touched a nerve in her, a non-car person. For you and me, it's it's easy. It's, you know, the, lo- the look back. If you don't look back at your car when you park it and walk away, yeah. then it doesn't mean anything to you. So, yeah, it is interesting time. Nicely put. I think so. And eventually we'll work through all this, no doubt. But it's going to take longer than probably the government thinks we can all do it. And if, they could, <laughs> if they could get out of our way, we might be able to get it done, right? So right. Uh, that's another question. So let's talk about... It's not the car. Interesting title for this new podcast that you and Ross and Jeff have done. And for those listeners that missed my talks with Ross and Jeff, you can go back and find those on the Cars Yeah website. Ross, of course, known as the driving coach, and he has a great weekly uh, blog he puts out about driving, which I subscribe to, which is fascinating because I used to be a race car driver. So uh, I always like, so where were you back then? Because I was right here. You just needed to read my books more. Um, and, and he lives <laughs> right up the road from me. So that's kind of cool. So what why did you get involved with these guys tell us all about it's not the car and what this new and it's a vlog because it's video visual right versus mm-hmm. what i do all audio am i using the right terminology <laughs> sort of i mean it's it's just a podcast you know we there's a video element to it released on youtube but it's available anywhere you get your podcast right you know apple spotify stitcher all down the line but ross and jeff um and i actually met jeff through ross jeff is one of the world's great motorsport engineers he's won literally anything that that is worth winning in sports cars in america and is is just a wonderful great thoughtful guy. And the one thing he has in common with Ross is that both of them, you know, they built a career out of asking questions, trying to figure out why conventional wisdom doesn't always apply. And then what you do moving forward from that. Mm-hmm. And I've known Ross for years. We actually was responsible for helping get him involved in road and track. He wrote a column about driving there while I was there for a bit. And we worked together. We did a, several different track tests at a great time. And I, I got to know him a little better. And I'd read his books when I was younger because the Speed Secrets books are, you know, the great secret about what Ross does is that it's geared toward helping you become a better driver. But his methods really apply to anything toward being a better thinker, toward being a better writer, toward being a better you know, the, the human person who goes into a job and relates to people. Because it's all about how do we grow and how we think and change and how you can work on that yourself. And that's it sounds touchy-feely, but in the end, it's just, I don't know, how do humans get better? And so Ross and I started having these conversations with friends and got to talking about all this sort of stuff and how it relates to motorsport, but also the rest of life. And then after a while, we kind of roped in Jeff and we, in the end, decided that it made more sense to, to put something down on tape. And that turned into eventually a podcast focused on racing. But it's focused on racing in the same way that, uh, you know, Drive to Survive, the Netflix F Formula One drama uh-huh. is in the sense that it's not the cars that make it right. You don't watch Formula One for the cars. You watch for what happens, how the people think it work. The great things about Drive to Survive was that it pointed out that there are humans in those cars. You're right. Sometimes they make really dumb decisions, and sometimes they make great ones. And humans behind the pit wall, too. There's this massive group of people with all these personalities. To make a very long story short, the whole idea was that the three of us are mostly just fascinated with the choices people make under extreme pressure 
You know, so and Drive to Survive shows that, right? Everybody in racing at every minute has something on the line, something to lose, some gain, not just a win, but you know, careers and risk and life. And it's these guys have been everywhere and done everything. And we just that the podcast is is named that way. It's called It's Not the Car, simply because in the end, cars and what makes it interesting cars, why we show up and the people are why we stay. Well, something I've learned after interviewing so many people that all these cars are really just catalysts that bring everybody together. Oh, totally. We see it yeah. in races, Concord <laughs> events, cars and coffees, you know, and it, it's a bond in this car world. Those of us, and we all listening know this, but people that aren't car people, when they get into the R world, they go, wow, you guys are all like really nice and friendly and you're so <laughs> passionate. And, you know, I can call somebody who's been on my show and they're in a board meeting and they'll leave the room to talk to me because I'm going to talk about cars, not about numbers, <laughs> you know, or the how many people we have to lay off today or who do we have to hire any of that kind of stuff that's, you know, not much fun. So I think it's really cool what you guys are doing. And it's a is it a weekly show, monthly show? How often do we get to enjoy this? Uh, it's a weekly show. New episodes uh, air every Tuesday in the morning. They're live at the beginning of the day. And uh, thank you. It's it's that's really kind of you. Uh, ultimately, you know, we're, we're not doing it to <laughs> we're never going to get rich doing it. It's it's mostly just because we love talking about this stuff. I appreciate it. Thanks. Well, absolutely. I'm excited. Um, you know, I've always said when I got into this, I reached out to a lot of people that I thought knew what they were doing. Very few of them are willing to talk to me except <laughs> for the people in the car world. So I realized, OK, there's something in common here. We want to help each other. And I try to do the same when people ask me things. You know, I always like to, and, and a lot of this can relate back to what you're doing now, if you'd like, however way you want to handle it uh, or drive it, go down the road. That was a few more. <laughs> so good at nice. these things, aren't they? So nice. easy. Is what I call driving inspirations. There's another one. Mentors, influencers. Has there been somebody like that in your life that's really stood out and really helped guide you down a path that tur turned out to be really positive for you? Uh, yeah, actually, two people. Um, one of them, I believe, has actually been a, been a Carzia guest. Uh, it's a gentleman named Satch Carlson. Who, Satch, yeah, BMW. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he used to be, an, for a long time, he was an Auto Week writer, but he now runs the BMW Car Club America's Roundell magazine. Mm -hmm. And Roundell, I, I got attracted to old, cheap, broken BMWs, because all old, cheap BMWs are broken. Broken. Um, got, hey, be careful. I'm a BMW guy. <laughs> I Believe me, I am too. I have several, several very ugly ones in, on, on the property. Um, but yeah, I, I got attracted to that stuff kind of in high school and college, because it was the great driving cars that if you're willing to put a little you know, blood and sweat into, you could afford and afford to keep running and got involved with the club. And Satch was an, just one of the first people who let me write for him. And he was so patient and thoughtful. And, you know, him and uh, you know, the first car magazine I worked at was it's defunct now. It was called Automobile. Came out of a couple of people who left car and driver. I remember and that. Yeah. Yeah. And the woman who ran it was a legend in the business. Um, still is named Gene Jennings. And both of them were as different as chalk and cheese, but they did the same thing. And that Satch and Gene both listened as I was, you know, as I was frankly bad at my job, as I wrote and told stories terribly. I was obnoxious and young and stupid in a thousand ways. And they were patient when they didn't have to be. And and they they just kept giving feedback when I asked for it and kept, you know, I kept asking, how do I get better? And they 
they just kept listening. It was remarkable. Well, uh, Statch I've known forever, and uh, he actually used to live in La Jolla where I grew up. Now he lives <laughs> on a rock in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that move was like, what are you doing? That's, <laughs> your Z8's not going to go very fast on that island. But, um, yeah, he's uh, he's been great, followed him for many years. What a character. I mean, big-time character. Um, yeah. And Jean, I've known of her forever. I have tried and tried to get her on this show. I just can't convince her that She's- this is what she should do. So uh, maybe someday, Jean, come on, give me a little love. huh? <laughs> She's amazing. I ho- hope she does. She's wonderful. Well, She's one, one can, of the best people. <laughs> maybe you can twist her arm for me a little bit. Maybe I'll I just try. need to find the right person. It only took me nine years to get uh, Jay Leno on the show. So uh, sometimes <laughs> the greats take a little bit longer than, than uh, the average folks like me. I like to also ask about challenges. And the reason I ask this question is, have you shared a big challenge, but more importantly, what did it teach you? Because if we're not failing, we're not trying is what I used to tell my kids. You know, they come home upset that they missed five five uh, equations on the math test. And I say, well, that's good. Now you know what you need to learn. You know, give them a different perspective. You know, just like, bad kid, bad kid. You get no allowance this week. You know, which is kind of the way the school system operates. They emphasize what yeah. you don't know versus what you do. Let's emphasize what you can learn. So what's a great challenge in your life? Man, that's a that's a tough one. You know, everybody has nobody has an easy life. Doesn't matter what it looks like from the outside. And thinking about that, it's a you know, there's everybody has a laundry list of things they've had to struggle with and deal with. But honestly, the one thing that I'd point to is is for me, it's been working in an industry that I love, media covering a subject that I love, where there's you know not uh, not a lot of stability, there's not a lot of, of money going around, and things are constantly kind of changing and shrinking. You know, it can be really, really difficult to wake up every day and keep going sometimes when salaries are getting cut and your friends are getting laid off and, you know, quality seems less and less important to so many people. But ultimately, I think that's what, what, what's always kept me going is the, the notion that that kind of stuff has been people have been talking about that since the dawn of the printing press. Right. You know, forever. I think I think the hardest thing in all of it has been trying to stay positive when everyone else says you shouldn't. In the end, the it's the, the one thing that I think makes such a difference is just reminding yourself that what anybody else thinks doesn't matter. It's it's your blood pressure. And if you love it and you can make a go at it, keep going, you know. When it, when it gets sticky, just keep poking things with a stick. <laughs> Would you say, you know, this is uh, something near and dear to my heart, too, because I've seen that industry go through all these gyrations, and specifically when the computers came about and the Internet and, the, yeah. and people's dynamics of how they digest things and so forth. Would you say that a part of this for people that want to be in this world of media is you have to be willing to change with the times, because some of the things that I saw happening, and I'll, I'll use an example. I worked in the advertising world for 11 years and, and even did in my my time later on. But the the hot press print in printing, the little, you know, <laughs> lead press, you know, that. Yeah. And then when the, this thing called the Mac SE came along, desktop publishing, and everybody started doing that. I remember a printer we worked with, all the hot press lead setters went on strike. And they marched in front of the building because we don't like these computers. We like playing with hot lead. Anybody that's as old as me will know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah, they actually used to have little boxes with little E's in them. You know, that was the biggest box. And for a year, they they walked outside. I used to go to that company to print things down to San Diego. And every time I drive by, they'd yell at me when I'd walk in the door. And I'm like, you guys just need to learn how to use a computer. I mean, that's all it takes. That's what we did. You know, our advertising <laughs> firm, we bought a little thing called a Mac SE and thought it was God's gift to the advertising and design world. But you have to 
change. Would you agree that in the media world, that is absolutely imperative? Because as you've said, magazines came and went, they fired, they hired, you never knew from the next day. Guess what, folks, somebody bought us, the boss is out of here, and all of you are fired. Have a great life. See you. Bye. <laughs> like, well, yesterday I mean, you were my friend. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what happened? I mean, it's 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 imperative. Right. And it's not just I don't think it's tied to any one business or anything else. It's just a, it's such a part of life. And and the older and I'm not I'm, I'm not that old. I'm in my well, I don't feel that old. I'm in my early 40s. I'm 42 years old. You're just about a puppy. 43. You're just a puppy. <laughs> but, but enjoy it. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. The, my back hurts in the morning. Um, I'm trying to enjoy that. But but the idea that, you know, we the older you get, the more you realize that nothing stays the same. And if you try and resist that change, you don't end up stopping it. You never stop it. All you end up is falling off the train, watching it leave you in the distance. And then you wake up one day and everything's different. And you, you know, you don't even know where to start to get back on because the train's in the distance, right? right. You can't run fast enough to keep up. There's a, an old, an old quote I love from uh, one of my heroes, an old sports car, uh, sports car racer and uh, sports writer named Denise McCluggage. She had brief, brief moments in Formula One and, and in sports cars and, and was helped actually found Auto Week magazine. Yep. But she has this quote that goes something like, and, and forgive me if I'm not, not remembering it verbatim, but it's change is the only constant and hanging on is the only sin. Hmm. Just the idea at the core of that is, you know, I, I just love learning. I love as much as I love the past and stories and history and who, how that makes us who we are. And as much of my work has been about that. I, I love figuring out what's next, looking at what's next. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that if Whatever comes along, you look at it and go, hmm, ah, eyebrow raise, TikTok, that's going to kill us all. Well, it's like, well, okay, you know, nothing's ever entirely good or bad. Uh, it's all about, for me at least, I think it's, it's about trying to find the positive in whatever the next step is. Because so much of it is, you know, it's, it's not obvious from the surface. The deeper you dig, the deeper you get, the deeper you get. But. Absolutely. <laughs> I was so fortunate to have Denise as a guest about two months before really? we lost her. Oh, yeah. Go back. Oh, you, can, man. you can find her in my archives if you just go to uh, Cars, will. Yeah, and do a search, type her name in there. Or there's a, category, a page called Resources. And you can see I've interviewed over 450 women now in the motorsport industry. And very lucky to get her. I met her on the lawn at Pebble Beach. I got to sit next to her up in the judges box during uh, Pebble Beach when the cars rolled over. And she was on my right. And Jackie Stewart, Sir Jackie Stewart, sorry, Jackie. <laughs> was on my left, and I'm like, how did I get here? And who do I talk to? And what do I say? And how do I not look like a fool? And uh, unfortunately, I can never get Jackie on the show. I tried and tried, but Denise was gracious enough. And she actually was a challenge. And I'll say something about her. I finally convinced, I didn't know she was ill and was dying. You know, mm. I didn't know that. She didn't share that. I finally convinced her to be on the show. And she said, Mark, you're the most politely persistent man I've ever met in my life. <laughs> I said, well, thank you, I think, you know. And she said, okay, I'll do it. And uh, we had a good a good time. I'll tell you, though, there, wasn't, there was one question, and she's the only person out of 2,466 that would not answer one of my questions. I'll tell you which one it is later because I'm going to be asking you that question. I don't want you to <laughs> use her as, as an excuse. Let's talk about a special vehicle in your life, one special vehicle, and share a story about that ride. Oh, man, um, there are so many. You know, I, I had owned something like 42 or 43 terrible, terrible cars by the time I was 34, <laughs> 35. Wow, impressive. I mean, when you say that, when you say that number, it's I mean, we're talking about some of them were 
awful things that, you know, your mother would, your mother would kick you out of the house if she saw you hang out with. <laughs> but, um, if I had to pick one, it's probably during, during the pandemic, I accidentally on purpose bought a terrible old early 1970s BMW 2002 TII. I bought oh. it sight unseen. I've had a bunch of 2002s. Um, I used to club race them. I kind of came up in them and yeah, that's how my, it was my entry into BMWs. Uh-huh. For people that don't know, they're basically just little Box sports sedan, <laughs> yeah. yeah, in the seventies, it was one of the first kind of fully resolved sports sedans. You know, comfortable thing that went fast and handled well and stopped and was built pretty well. And this one had um, had lived through what we now know as probably a couple of floods. It came out of Baltimore, hadn't run in about ten years. It was terminally rusty. You know, a friend of mine convinced me to buy it sight unseen, and we went to pick it up. And he looked at me, and he was this is a guy who works on these things for a living. He's a professional mechanic. He looked at me, he's like. I'm sorry. I'm it was, sorry. Yeah. It was worse than I thought. And I, I should I have given you that drug. <laughs> I drove it down the street to put it on. I had a, a trailer, rented trailer in a truck and I drove it down the street, put it on the truck and I could hear this creaking and it was the, the rear subframe was coming loose from the car. Yeah. It was not attached in about four different places. Wow. Floors had holes and the whole car was just Swiss cheese. Yeah. Like the kind of thing you would throw away. And you know, uh, after a while, I thought, well, you know, hell, I have this thing. It was cheap. Basically just, you know, tiny cash. Uh, I should probably part it out. And then after a while, it, uh, after a day or two of thinking about that in the shower, I decided, no, I don't want this to die. And that's really dumb because if I had gone through and restored it the right way and it would have cost 80000 maybe maybe $100,000, I don't have that kind of money, especially not for a terrible old 2002 and I called up a fabricator friend of mine, a couple of the friends of mine, and we ended up, I basically just said, how do we get this thing living and safe with the least amount of effort in the dumbest way possible? And that <laughs> turned out to be welding a bunch of steel tubes into it and kind of making an exoskeleton for the thing so it hung together. And that was a, it was a, just kind of a, one of those weird pandemic projects I, that we threw together over a couple of months. I wrote about the whole thing. I was working for Haggerty, uh, the insurance company at the time, and wrapped it up. And when I wrapped it up, it was so ugly that I pulled it up at gas stations and people would be like, oh, that's nice. What's your plans for it? Are you going to restore it? And I could yeah, grin and say, man, did. I already have. <laughs> and, and then about a, you know, a few months after that, I drove it 5,000 miles to California and back in wow. the middle of an wave to enter it into a fancy car show, Pebble Beach weekend as a joke. And it made me very happy. <laughs> was that lemons? No, no, it was it was uh, Legends of the Autobahn. Oh, le- oh, they let you in? Really? Wow. Yeah. One woman walked by and and. She obviously didn't know I was the man who owned that terrible thing. And she looked at it and looked at her husband or boyfriend and whoever was with her and said, why is it here? Does it even run? It's so ugly. Yeah. And I, I elbowed a friend of mine in the ribs. I'm like, eh, eh, we're coming up in the world. What what year was that? Uh, the Legends? Yeah, that the, the, you had the car in Legends. That would have been, okay, so it was, I think that was summer of 21, maybe? 21, okay. I think it was 21, yeah. I think I saw that car. I'll have to go back to my pictures. I probably said the same thing. You should get a tetanus shot if you're anywhere near it. (laughs) (laughs) Two of them. Sorry. No, that's a fun story, though. Well, it just shows you can do anything in the car world at any level. Uh, You know, you don't have to have fortunes. uh, But it also is a good lesson that, uh, yes, maybe it's sometimes best to find a car that someone else wasted a lot of money on. (laughs) <laughs> and buy that after it's restored. So there you go. So I'm going to crawl on your head. I'm a car psychologist here. I, I hold a special degree created by me in uh, Adobe Illustrator, I think it was, or InDesign or something like that. If you, were a, if you were a vehicle, if you were manifest, reincarnated, not what you want to be, though. This is how you perceive the man in the mirror. You got to dig deep for me here, Sam. What would you oh, be man. and why? What would I be and why? Yeah. I'm going to go. Does it have to be 
can it be? Can we be existential? Can I? Can I? You, you know, can go anywhere you want more? with this because you're on the, okay. the psychiatrist couch. So oh, all you need is a box of tissues. Well, <laughs> it starts with my mother, and twenty years ago. <laughs> 20. No, so um, I probably I'm going to go. Let's just riff on this off the top of my head. So I would go with a '65 Mustang notchback with the trunk open and a Honda Cub motorcycle in the trunk, and it's the Cub is missing one wheel and the whole package is it might be flying off a cliff and about to hit ground, but hasn't hit ground yet. How about that? Now that's a unique answer, which begs the question, <laughs> why? <laughs> I don't know. Cause, uh, I, you know, I'm one of those people that, you know, there are Mustang people, there are yeah. Porsche people, there are, you know, Camaro people. I'm an everything person. Uh, and sometimes the focus is hard to maintain. And sometimes, you know, life just feels like you're trying to it's like that scene in Steve Martin's The Jerk where he's like, all I need is this lamp yes. and this chair. And he's got his bathrobe and he's walking down the street carrying like 40 pieces of furniture. Yep. Sometimes you feel like that's you with everything you love and you're in the process of falling off a cliff and you don't know what's at the bottom. And, you know, eventually you'll hit ground and like the end when you're 80 or 90, if you're lucky, but you don't know what's there. And it's like, well, falling, enjoy the ride, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. So now I understand that movie. I never could figure it out. Thanks for helping me with that. <laughs> I'm in the phone book. I'm in the phone book. Yeah, very good. Well, I'll I'll release the secret now. That is the question Denise would not answer. Really? I could not get... She. It was funny. She finally said, Mark, I'm not going to answer that question because I wouldn't be a car. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, so I I took that part out of the show, but I was kind of (laughs) disappointed. Yeah. What an amazing lady she was, man. She was. I'm so envious. <laughs> very, very fortunate that I, I got to meet her that way. So, great books. We love great books. I assume being a journalist, a writer, you're a reader. Is there a great yeah. book you could share with us? Can I give you two? Of course. Uh, first, I'd go with, um, I forget when this came out. It might have come out in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Oh, wow. It's Charles Lindbergh's The Spirit of St. Louis, which is, oh. as you might expect, it's the story of how... He flew across the Atlantic Ocean alone uh, from raising the money. And it starts in the beginning, raising the money from true believers, pitching everybody and hearing no a thousand times to building the airplane to all the way down to not falling asleep as he closed in on Ireland and France. And it's, I mean, you know, say what you will about Lindbergh himself. He was a complex guy and uh, had some sympathies uh, in World War II that probably weren't always in the right direction. But ultimately, he was an incredibly brave, driven thoughtful man on so many levels and the uh, it turns out was a hell of a writer and and the book is you know it, it's not medium thickness uh, but it's relatively easy to read and it's him it's one person talking about why so much of this t- intangible thing matters to him wow. and he ends up in all these places making all of these decisions that are the kind of decisions that you and I might agonize over. And he's just like, yep, go that. And in the end later, he's like, well, that wasn't a good idea. And it all goes wrong. (laughs) But it's that, that's the first one. Uh, It's one of my, it's one of the all time great adventure stories. Uh, Second one is a a thing that I've recommended to about a thousand people over the years. Um, It's a writer for, used to be a writer for flying and occasionally car and driver, but mostly flying a guy named Gordon Baxter, who was a radio host from Texas. He was a private pilot. um, But he wrote a column for flying called Back's Seat, a pun on his name, that was on the last page. And it was basically just him waxing romantic about flying and about how it hits normal people, right? Because most of the people who buy Cessnas and, you know, go down to your local airport, are, they're not Chuck Yeager. You know, they're not breaking the sound barrier. They're just doing something that fulfills them. Mm-hmm. And he wrote about that. 
And he wrote about the people that make up those communities, how that all ties together. And the book, the, the book is a collection of columns with, you know, kind of reminiscing interspersed between it. And it is one of the most artfully, quietly romantic things I've ever, ever read. And it's, it's delicate and engaging. And like I said, I've, I've recommended it to about a billion people over the years, but it's magical stuff, even if you're not a pilot, just about wow. how we love things in one. Well, thanks for bringing two new books. Nobody's, well, the the columns, but we'll call it a book. Yeah, uh, that nobody has mentioned here, which is pretty amazing because I've got a place on the website called Guest Recommended Books with over oh, 3,000 books listed there with quick, easy clicks to buy. Wow. So, yeah. So I'll we'll, add, we'll add a few more to the list. Very cool. I see a flying trend here. You want to be a pilot? <laughs> uh, my dad was a flight instructor when I was younger and a, a corporate pilot for a bit. He got out of it. Uh, same same reason a lot of people get out of journalism, frankly, because it, it wasn't a good, good way to raise a family. Yeah, it's difficult. But it's yeah, a being lifelong passion. You yeah. know, it's like cars. It's anything that things that take you places emotionally while taking you places physically. But. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go on the ultimate drive before I let you go today. I'm going to park anything you want in your driveway. So for a guy who's driven so many cars, this might be easy, might not be easy, but I'm going to park in your driveway. You can take it anywhere. And here's the key back to people. You could take anybody with you, including somebody from the past. He's no longer oh, like interesting. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Open some doors. So where are we going? What are we doing in this vehicle? Or what vehicle are we doing it in? And who are we with? Okay. So you, you want where, who, and what, right? Yeah. So let's think about this. So um, I'd go with my dead grandparents, all four of them. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, something large enough to hold them. So it would have to be, but, and yet also kind of stylish. So it would have to be, so the five of us, let's say like eh, some kind of maybe like a mid sixties Lincoln or an early continental, early sixties. Okay. okay. Uh, they'd probably, if I've been told they were, I, I knew all of them, but only as a kid. And I've been told they were all terrible drivers. So you'll be driving. <laughs> I'll probably be driving, but maybe let them drive once in a while. Yeah. Just, you know, because everybody should have moments of terror in their lives. And um, what would we talk about? I, I think I think mainly just how my parents turned into the people they became. And it's one of those things that's, I remember talking to them about that when I was little, talking to my parents about how they became who they are when I was little. And yet, you know, you think about this stuff differently as, as you get older. You know, right. you, you're a parent, I'm a parent, we have kids. And it's just one of those things that the older you get, the more it seems like alchemy. You just want to know where I came from, how it works. Yeah, you know, it's one of the things I've always said is most of us don't know much about our parents unless they've shared it before we were born. We just know right. them as our parents. But yeah. what kind of lives do they have? What struggles do they have? And sometimes when you spend the time to ask great questions, you learn some things that you go, Oh, now I know why you're like that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Mom. Yeah, yeah, I had no idea. Wow. And the struggles, too. And especially grandparents yeah. because of the times they lived in. You know, my, my grandparents uh, grew up on a farm or had a farm in Texas during the Dust Bowl. And my great-grandfather wow. founded that land during the Great Land Rush. You know, uh, wow. came across in a wagon and put a flag in the ground. And what he didn't know was he was supposed to be putting a flag on the ground in Oklahoma in the Panhandle where they troop tripped off all the Native Americans, but he got too far south, he ended up in Texas. But they said, <laughs> okay, kidding. fine, you can have it. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, just crazy stuff. Yeah, I mean, you think of how easy life is now compared to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Wow, that really forms people. You've taken us on a fun ride today, Sam, and I really appreciate it. I think it's really cool what you guys are doing. Uh, could you leave us some with some parting words of wisdom or advice since we're into the new year? 
Oh man, I I don't I don't have any advice. I don't know anything. Um, <laughs> I'll go back to that Denise quote about uh, change being only constant, yeah. and let's wrap that up with I don't know. The, I think sometimes the hardest thing in life is just to be positive in the faces face of things that are not. And if there's one thing you can try to do, do that and help others do it. You know. You hit the nail on the head there, Sam. I've, that's the secret sauce I've learned having interviewed so many people. Is that what <laughs> is truly makes human beings happy is when you're helping somebody else. Yeah. Unfortunately, some people don't figure that out ever. Some figure it out later in life and some figure it out very early in life. So uh, that is the secret sauce to life, listeners. And you've heard it from me over and over again. <laughs> if you're unhappy about your life, go help somebody. And that'll change your perspective really, really quick. How can people learn more about the podcast? Uh, yeah, let's let's start with that. So It's Not the Car is available anywhere you get your podcasts, um, Apple and Spotify being the big ones, but it's also on YouTube. YouTube, we tend to have, as Mark said, you know, historical videos and insights and insights. Um, if you check it out, I'd love to know what you thought. Um, feel free to DM or comment or there's an email list in the email in the description. Please let us know. And uh, especially if you're not into racing, because if you're not into racing, it's built specifically for you. So really appreciate that. As far as everything else, uh, you know, I... I tend to appear in Car and Driver, Road and Track occasionally, all over the map. I write for a handful of other magazines. I do a regular column on uh, the British website, The Intercooler. And you can find me on social media at That's Sam Smith on pretty much anywhere uh, anywhere social media is sold. There you go. But, yeah, absolutely. I'll put all these links on Sam's show notes page if you're driving, walking, riding a skateboard, flying, whatever you're doing today while you're listening to this podcast. Thanks for listening. And a big shout out to uh, Ross and to your cohort in crime there, Jeff, because they are the guys that brought us together today. If you miss my talks with them, you'll find it in the archives on the Cars Yeah website, along with 2,465 other shows there for you <laughs> to enjoy. As you get you across the country or to the moon. Uh, just back-to-back shows. There you go. Sam, thanks for or taking a pit stop. One last pun for you today, bud. Taking a pit stop <laughs> with me today and sharing uh, what you're doing. I think it's fantastic. Wish you guys the best of luck. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. 20, 50, or 100 years from now, will there be a workforce to care for the collector vehicles we love? With auto shop programs disappearing across the country, it's a question we enthusiasts have to ask. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these vehicles aren't lost to time. One of the many ways RPM, which is short for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship, is accomplishing this goal is through workforce development initiatives. The RPM Apprenticeship Program enables the next generation of artisans to earn a living while they learn the craft of restoring and preserving these vehicles directly from industry professionals. The Endangered Skills Program documents the process of masters training future craftspeople on a variety of critical skills in danger of being lost forever. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of the collector vehicle skills trade, visit RPM Foundation today. They're one of the charities of choice here on Cars Yeah! Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up! a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!